Hey, Flaunt Squad. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am your host, Aja Yasir, and you can go to flauntperformance.com to pick up 10 Laws of Power for the Voluptuous Runner. And also special thanks to our DJ, DJ Stack Chip out of Chicago. Special thanks to him for the music. At Flaunt Performance, we focus on the voluptuous runner and our motto is all bodies are built to run. You know, running is such a beautiful, beautiful sport and it can be a solo sport and it can also be a sport that you compete against others with. But whatever reason you have for running, just know that you're running for yourself. Some of us run for competition. Some of us run because we want to disconnect, to reconnect, to connect with nature, to connect with ourselves. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today with our wonderful guest, Sarah Seinberg. She's a holistic coach, a holistic health coach, and a runner. And when I first ran across her, her blog was so deeply moving. She's so deeply moving. So I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Go ahead and sit back and relax or do whatever you're doing and just listen to the show. Welcome to the show, Sarah. You know, I was going over your blog and I can really tell that you have a really intimate relationship with food. You're very poetic. It's almost like water for chocolate. Why do you have this intimate relationship? Well, I guess pleasure is the first thing. I love uh, how things taste. I also think that I think of food as pretty artistic. I think of cooking as like a creative outlet and uh, an expression of the self. And it brings people together, brings um, families, both chosen and born families together and it sustains us so it touches so many different aspects I think of life from the creative impulse to uh, social bonding to you know physical stamina what's not to love really was there a time in your life when you denied yourself the love of food Oh, yeah. Constantly. I mean, I think I've had so I had so many years of um, being at odds with the body that I lived in. And I used food for things other than its pleasure or its taste. Like I used it to stuff down feelings. I used it to not be uncomfortable where I was um, to give me immediate gratification when things were hard in life Um, and because I you know grew up in a pretty misogynist culture uh, and a fat phobic culture I was at odds with my body which is naturally pretty curvy even at its smallest and I um, was able to I think change that relationship over time um, with food and with my body to come to a place where I can now enjoy food in the body 
how it is each day. Take us back to that time in your life when you were at odds with your body. Who were you back then? Well, I would say I'm, you know, I, that that period's not totally over. Um, that, you know, those, I felt like I, I grew up that way and I was in that body for so long that, like, that, that kind of location comes up pretty quickly because I was taught that that was home for so long. Um, But I do have a pretty consistent practice of like self-acceptance and I surround myself with people who are really supportive and loving for who I am. Uh, But let me see, taking you back to it. So I think a lot just, from the time I was, I remember thinking in like sixth grade when I was playing soccer with all my friends that I was the pudgy one and that there was something wrong with that. And then I didn't really know how to be a girl. I wasn't good at being a girl. I wasn't good at, I didn't look right. I wasn't a demure blonde person. I think probably being like a thick Jewish girl came into it. Um, And I always felt like I should be different than I was. And it's hilarious to look back at pictures and just think, God, I just never knew what I looked like. I always looked fine. You stated that our culture has made our bodies unsavory, untimely, and ultimately at risk. What did you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think like because women aren't invited to to um, be at ease in their own bodies, and our bodies have over the course of so many years been institutionally institutionally oppressed and owned and traded and diminished and attacked. I mean, we have somebody taking office who grabs people by the pussy and it's fine. Like you're famous, you're allowed to do that. And then we have an entire, even if he didn't win the popular vote, you still have millions and millions of people that still thought it was okay to elect somebody like that for president. It made the nation talk about women's bodies for like a week. And everyone was like, yay, we're going to have this conversation. No, we're not going to have this conversation. We had a conversation for a week that it's totally normal to assault women. And when we can't talk about our bodies, when we can't, talk about the the places that we live and we're supposed to um, be, our bodies are supposed to ultimately be in service to others, whether it's by uh, being like a sexual toy or a carrier of a person that gets to be born or a worker that gets paid less money, as long as our bodies continue to, under the surface, be regarded as um, something to be owned and traded and dehumanized, they are at risk. And I think much more so when there's an intersection with bodies of color, 
queer bodies, trans bodies, all of these bodies that are not um, simply in, in power, bodies that are in power in the culture, they're, they're all diminished. You just stated that we talked about this for about a week during the election and it was over. And I, I'm assuming that it's because of the social media speed era. What can we do to continue this conversation with our children, with our little girls, with our boys, with our families? How can we continue? What do we need to do to continue this conversation? I think, you know, it's funny you bring up social media. I got on the January 1st, I got off Facebook. I'm pretty much the least likely person ever to get off Facebook. I really love it. I love pictures. I love seeing other people's lives. I love staying in touch with people. But it really became, for me, so overwhelming to be in this echo chamber, and especially an echo chamber where I felt like people were, like, eating their own young. It was so vicious. And this is by people who are supposedly trying to, like, work together against people who would do us harm. Um, and I, I just made a, for me, and I think this is going to be different for everyone, but for me, I felt like part of what I could do was get off the Internet and get my ass into the world, get my fat ass into the world to do like really important work of seeing each other in real life, of really seeing someone's face when you talk to them, of really hearing somebody's story and seeing like, how is my experience as a female bodied person different than another person's experience as a female-bodied person and how can we together as female-bodied people be safe how do we build strength how do we how do we get out there and I mean put our put our bodies into the political process even if it's a system that has done us wrong or we don't feel seen by or we don't believe in the sitting home and saying fuck it isn't clearly is not working so it's said there was such low voter turnout and people for me I, I also hear people saying like we need to to talk to these uh, you know people who voted for the president-elect and see how they feel I, you know I'm not in that camp I'm like ready to talk to people who just didn't vote people who feel disenfranchised and disempowered and try to really remind each other that we do have power and that the vote is power if we cast that vote and if we get involved in local politics and start from the ground up, if we go to the school board and see what our kids are learning, if we really get into the process, we follow the money, we just get ourselves educated and we talk to people, you know, I don't know a lot, like I don't understand the fiscal process of things, but I know people who do who can put it in a language that I understand. I don't have to be an expert in everything. Um, but I do think that getting out in, into the real life and getting off the internet, at least for the last 12 days, has felt pretty good to me. Hmm. I can't even imagine getting off social media right now. <laughs> I couldn't either. Like I say, it's really, um, it doesn't match my personality to get off of it. But it does make me feel good to be like, oh, I have to actually do some work to reach out to people I want to talk to and to get my, you know, for like I'm using this idiom on purpose, but like I got to get my skin in the game. Mm. You know, and I think with, this is also connected to 
you know, police brutality and the way that um, black women are treated by the police. And I'm haunted by Sandra Bland's murder and the cover up of that. And I just, I can't, I can't let, I can't sit home and just type about it. Not that I don't value writers, I do, and I think their work is so important in the world, and, and journalists who are doing good work, but I, I need to get out there. And you're a writer. Meh. So how is getting away from social media going to impact your writing now? You know, I haven't been writing as much for a while, and I think it's going to help me find my way back to it. I think that the overwhelm of 140 characters on Twitter and little tiny paragraphs on Facebook and everyone's text coming all at once. It's really, I feel like it's kind of crossed up my wires of my inner voice, being able to hear what I want to say, being clear about how to get the words down. And so for me, I think this kind of like solitude and taking space is going to be helpful for my writing to be able to really put in some time and care. Let's go back to clarity because you went from numbing yourself to being really open and clear and and really intentional what was that transition like well food has been something I've numbed myself with my you know since I was a kid since I was like a teenager but girl that did not it did not stop there I mean I've done a ton of drugs I uh I'm never a big drinker but I loved getting high like I really loved it lots of different substances um, I stopped getting high in my late 20s, early 30s. I don't even remember. Um, but it's been a long time. And uh, I started sitting with myself. I started doing meditative things, whether it was being in seated meditation, whether it was long distance running, whether it was um, making watercolors, cooking, I find meditative, any sort of durational thing that has a rhythm, I find really meditative. And I come up on all the edges of myself. And my hope is to really expand those edges to really sit with what's uncomfortable and see what's past it. And then when I'm able to do that through, I think some of the most difficult things in life are the biggest teachers, I think that the more we can sit for pain, the more capacity that we gain for true joy, the more we're available to do work that is incredibly taxing and at the same time equally rewarding. So I think I think what happened was when I decided that I wanted to be available for my life, that these numbing behaviors started to fall away. Some of them fell away. Some of them I had to work at getting rid of. And, I, you know, this 2016 was rough. I'm not going to say, like, I didn't, like, I stopped exercising for months. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't exercising. I was just, like, freaked out. And I was in pain and I was terrified. And then uh, I went on a trip with my partner and I kind of got my, I got away from it all. I got off the internet 
for the length of the trip, and that was in November. It was two days after the election. And then Leonard Cohen died, one of my favorite poets in the world. And I was like, I'm going to live. I'm going to live again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And I, little by little, I've been getting myself back into my body and back into my life. And um, certainly into my, the, the one thing that has stayed consistent this whole time and that I've been fierce about and that's been so helpful for me is my, my work as a health coach and being in service to other people. And I've always made sure that the, that, gets, that gets my full and undivided attention. And that's kept me really sane and inspired. How have those long runs allowed you to heal? Oh, my God. They're the best. I'm, I'm very excited to get back to them. They're so, they're so painful. Oh, my God. They're so painful in the best way. And I, I think, you know, I started running when I lived in San Francisco. And um, I decided very early on not to run with headphones on, not because I was against it, but because I was like, I'm going to get hit by a car if I'm not paying attention. So as a result, I ended up spending all this time with just my thoughts. And then endorphins. When I got good, when I got good enough to run for, for longer than 20 minutes, I started to understand, oh, this is like, this puts me in a different place. And it's just this long observational experience of being able to be both in the mind and watching the mind and what it does. And I felt like so many things happened. I got, to, I got more acceptance about myself. I liked myself better. Um, and then I started to be like, man, if I can do this, what else, what else in life can I do that I haven't been doing? This is amazing. Like six miles, seven miles, 10 miles, 15 miles. Like who am I? And then I realized through that, that line of questioning that, I was, that I had a lot of old tapes about who I was in my head that just were outdated and they weren't serving me anymore. And, and because I realized that, I realized I had a lot of old tapes in my head about who everybody else was and where I, where I fit in. And I wasn't, I was making assumptions about people all the time and I didn't know what everyone else's life was like and made me it really helped me to understand what people meant by compassion in a, in a way that was like not just a definition, but was like an embodied experience and empathy and curiosity. Curiosity was, my curiosity doubled. I just got out of so many old, pathetic, flaccid stories that I had told myself over and over that were just, they were just boring and stupid and not true and they were holding me back. The things that go through your head as you're running, since you don't have on your headphones, have they ever slowed you down and just weighed you, weighed on you so much that you felt like you couldn't complete your run? Oh, yeah, totally. But there was always another run the other day. Or there was just like, I would say to myself, well, don't finish the, you don't have to finish the run. Just get to the end of the block. And then I would get to the end of the block and either I would be able to go another block or I would be like, I would forget I was having that conversation. I would just get, sometimes the blocks, I would just run through them and forget I had them. And they would come back like two miles later. Sarah, I really think it's so beautiful that you run for things outside of competition, 
for the emotional well-being of it. And I think because we are in this age of social media where we always have to show our medals and show our races and show our runs, many of us have gotten away from that. How long have you been doing this? Maja, you're nice. Um, I started in 19... No, is that true? That's not true. I started in 2009. That's a really beautiful thing. What do you have to say to people who want to run and are a little bit apprehensive about running outside of just having the desire for weight loss? Because I know you're a health coach, a holistic health coach, and you don't focus necessarily on weight loss in your practice. Well, I think that I would just, I don't love to give advice, but I will just reflect one of some experience that I had in this was that it was such a relief to me to begin to work at something that I was not good at and I was never going to be good at. I'm just not a natural runner. I'm not good at it. I'm not graceful. I don't have a good stride. I'm not fast. I'm not quick. And to find the value in doing something because of everything else and not because I was going to get accolades or win races or get better or whatever. Like it was just like, I just kept it outside of striving. I have so many like goals and, um, striving things in my life that to have this thing that took up so much time and space be about just what it was and not about being a better person or like, any of that just being like I get out there in my body I feel better I'm I have more clarity it improves my life it improves my relationship with myself and with others and it it makes me like my body against all odds of being female in America being a queer pudgy female in America middle-aged forget it like what a useless person to be in this country and to find value in that in this body and not have to be the best not even have to be not even have to be in a race to just be with myself it it that is so amazing it's so amazing to just enjoy the experience of something and let go of the results how has running allowed you to feel the value of your body Well, while I'm running, there's so many sensations. I mean, it's like it hurts sometimes or, you know, every once in a while. And sometimes in one run, I'll feel exhilarated. I'll feel frustrated. I'll go through so many feelings. And it just really gets me in touch with the fact that this is the place I live my life. Without my body, I don't get to do anything. I don't get to be in love. I don't get to um, make a casserole. I don't get to make pottery I don't get to have friends without this body I don't get to have this life I don't get to be an agent of change in the world I don't get to be I don't get to meet you I don't get to talk to you here like this body makes everything that I enjoy and that I hold dear possible and without it I'm nothing and so that is that is the ultimate value of the body it's where I live Your health coaching focuses on abundance instead of deprivation. Why? I mean, there's so many other things that focus on deprivation. We don't need any help with that. We've been trained in deprivation. So 
I'm not worried about people's ability to deprive themselves. They don't, nobody needs support with that. The whole culture is like, dude, you know, eat less, weigh less, you know, you, you can only be more if you're less, take up less space. So I'm, you know, I'm not about that. I'm about, I really want to support people to be where they're at and look around and see, well, where do you want to go? And to unpack things, like sometimes people will call me and be like, I, I really want to lose, you know, 25 pounds. And my first question is like, okay, well, why not 24? Like, what's up? What's wrong with 18? You don't want to lose 18 pounds? And we start to unpack the notion that that number 25 stands for something. What does that 25 pounds mean? What do you think you get, you get after that? Does that mean you get, you know, I want to be more... I want to be more comfortable in my clothes. I want to feel, um, I want to feel better when I go on an airplane in that seat. I want to feel better in that seat. Or I, um, I don't want to run out of breath when I go up the stairs at work. And I'm connecting that to this number 25. And so I like to help people unhitch that unhitch their stories from that number and take the power out of that number and say like you want to be comfortable in your body okay that's a different story how do you want to do that how do you want and then how does that make you live bigger and that is about abundance right instead of this I have to deprive myself to get to this number and then that number has control over me that number doesn't give a shit about you we're living in a society and you're working in an industry that is focused on weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, and not necessarily holistic health. How do you instill that different mentality into your clients? Mm-hmm. Well, I work with people for a long time. Usually, um, I, I think that slow change is so much more reliable than like, lose 30 pounds in 30 days. Um, I think slow change is reliable and it affects not just the body, but the, the whole life, which is why it's a holistic practice. Um, so I think it has to do a lot about trust, but I think, you know, go, going back to storytelling and being a writer, I think, you know, I do, uh, I do actually have a degree in writing and I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of writing and I've done a ton of reading and, I love a good narrative, and so I'm easy, it's, it's one of the things that I like to do is when people are talking to me, I can pick out pieces of the narratives of their, that they're telling me that they've become so accustomed to, they don't notice, and I really help people change the narrative and change the stories that they're telling themselves, just like I did when I was running. I was like, oh, this is old and useless. This is holding me back. And I get to support people to find out what narratives are holding them back and, and what what do they want to do differently? Sometimes people don't know what those are. Sometimes people have a hard time figuring out what their options are. or They don't know. They're, um, they feel so stuck that they have forgotten to look up at what resources are available to them. And so it's, it's really an honor. And it's, a, it's so um, amazing that people will share that space with me and trust me to to walk with them with a little flashlight in the dark and go to scary places and dig stuff up and rewrite things and, and believe that it can be different. 
they don't have to stay stuck. It seems like your health coaching is just so much more than what I've heard health coaches do. It's almost like, I don't know, being a psychologist, can you please let us know what your coaching entails? Um, what, you mean like the nuts and bolts? Yeah, the nuts and bolts, the packages, what you give people. I, I divested my practice of all packages and gimmicks. <laughs> I don't have any like 30 day jump start, six month. I don't do any of that. I just feel like um, I see people either weekly or every other week. Um, and I, the first thing I do is I send them a health history to fill out and it has a lot of things in it that are not just about the body, but I ask people about, do you have a creative practice that's important to you? Do you have a, a spiritual practice that's important to you? What things do you like to do? What do you do besides, you know, go like, what do you, how do you spend your time? I like to get a picture of somebody's whole life. Um, and then I ask people about what their vision is, what are their intentions, what are their, their goals, and, their, and, and we learn the difference between what's an intention, what's a goal, what's a task, and how do we set, how do we set different things on the horizon to sail the ship towards, and um, it just, so at the end of every session, there's like some tasks that people do, and I think that as I, with new clients, as I build, uh, as we build trust with each other and we get to know each other, that there's um, uh, more contact. You know, some people want to talk to me every week at the beginning or, you know, people will text me like from the grocery store, like, oh my God, look at my, look at, look at my groceries, girl. I did it. Or they'll, you know, text me a picture of like their shoes at the gym or a picture of the beach that they walk to, um, on their break from work instead of sitting in front of their computer. And that way that I form a team with people, uh, an accountability team with people. And as those habits get built and they need me less and less to be accountable for, we can either deepen the work or they can fire me and be like, I feel really great now. I'm going to take this out into the world. Peace out. <laughs> Sarah, how can people get in contact with you? Um, people can write me at Sarah, um, with no H, at SeinbergHealth.com, S-E-I-N-B-E-R-G.com, or you can go to SeinbergHealth.com, um, my website, and look at it. And my business still has a Facebook page up, but as you know, I've fired myself from Facebook, so I'm not really looking at it. Sarah, thank you so much for joining Flaunt Performance. I know our Flaunt squad is going to really enjoy this conversation. It was very enlightening. Aja, thank you so much for your thoughtful questions. And it was so, so great to be here. I really appreciate everything you're doing. I appreciate you. Likewise.